You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Well, let's turn to scripture together. Kathy Carter is going to take us into the word this morning and read just a few verses for us from the book of Esther. Thanks, Kathy. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for just a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. All right. Thank you, Kathy. Very good. Well, I've been looking for an opportunity to take us into the book of Esther for quite some time, but it's a story that arcs across 10 chapters, and really to understand it, you've got to take it in as one whole unit. So to divvy it up how we usually do a message series wouldn't quite work. So I've been thinking on it quite a while, and along came today, Reformation Sunday, and I thought this would be the perfect opportunity. I'm also looking at the clock and trusting that the Lord can do in four pages, what he would have done with five. So we'll just set that page down. <laughs> I don't want us to feel rushed in our worship time, especially as we have an opportunity to sing again with uh, Jesse and Bria. But what I want to do is tell you this story that I think features a lot of what Martin Luther came to stand for. And that is three things that we're going to look for today. Courage, wisdom, and trust. So Esther and Martin Luther and the Reformation are separated by 2,000 years, but I see these common characteristics in both. And so I want to tell you the story and move us right along. We'll kind of skim across the different chapters and put up a few key verses. But really, especially with our kids in worship, our elementary age students, this is a great Sunday to tell a phenomenal story. So here we go. As this ancient story begins, we're introduced to the setting in chapter 1. We're in the Achaemenid Persian Empire. It's 500 years before Christmas, before Jesus. And it is the biggest single empire that the world had known up to that point. So it stretches from northern Africa to Europe and all the way to India. would have included Ukraine as part of this empire. This vast kingdom would eventually be conquered by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. But at this point... It's the Persian Empire, and King Xerxes is the man in charge. In chapter 1, the king is in his royal palace in the city of Susa, and he's throwing a lavish party. Now, when I say lavish, it's a 180-day party. That's how wealthy this guy is. And he finishes the 180 days by throwing a seven-day banquet with unlimited food and drink. 
And on the last of those seven days, Xerxes, it says, was under considerable influence of alcohol. And we're going to see a lot of contrast here because Xerxes struggles in the category of wisdom. And we see Esther shine with wisdom. So he's under considerable influence of alcohol. And he wants to show off the beauty of his queen to all of his partygoers. So he orders her to come, wear her crown, and come visit his party. But she says no. Now this is in a time and place where you did not say no to the king, even if you were the queen. So he's enraged by her defiance. And he asks his advisors, what should he do with Queen Vashti? Now they're concerned as they start to answer him. They're worried that all of the other wives throughout the kingdom will hear of Queen Vashti's defiance and will stand up to their husbands. And so they want to make an example of her. And so they say in Esther 1.19, Therefore, these are the advisors, If it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. That sets up chapter 2, where now a search is carried out across the whole kingdom for all the beautiful young maidens to come to the capital and see who might win this contest and become the new queen. That's when we're told about a Jew named Mordecai who was living in Susa. Now, this is a long ways off, of course, from Israel, where you would have thought you would find the Jewish people. But many Jews had been carried off into exile under the previous empire, the Babylonians. Mordecai was one of them. And so he and his family are still there. And he has a cousin for whom this beauty contest is going to be relevant. Esther 2.7. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. When I met my wife, she told me that was her favorite Bible verse. (laughs) If you have not met my wife yet, her name is Esther. And I told her, I said, I knew the Bible was true and without error, but now I'm seeing it before my very eyes. I did not say that. I wasn't that quick. (laughs) But on a more serious note, I, I love a detail here that I think is worth noting, that Esther, the star of this story, certainly a hero of faith in the Bible, is an orphan. Don't miss that in this description. And how many times do we see God do this? Who does God pick for his team? It's the underdog, the down and out, the overlooked, the unremarkable. Esther was adopted. She had a tough start. It's almost like God looked down and saw her and said, you know what, I'm going to use that one for this special purpose. And so he can use any one of us for his special purposes. You see that in this text? It's right there. If Esther, if Mordecai, who was a foreign exile, then he can certainly use you and me. So Esther shows up in chapter 2, and she's whisked away to the castle. And of all the women in this beauty contest, 
She wins. King Xerxes picks her, crowns her as queen, and yet a very important detail is that he does not know that she's Jewish. Then we move into chapter 3. We're introduced to the villain of the story. Every good story's got to have a villain, and his name is Haman. He is already one of the king's trusted officials, but then he's elevated by Xerxes to a position that puts him above every other noble in the land. And everyone else is supposed to then bow down and honor Haman whenever he comes through riding through the king's gate. Well, guess who is sitting out at the gate and because he will only bow down to God, refuses. It's Mordecai. And this infuriates Haman, who finds out from his men that Mordecai is a Jew. So Haman sets his mind to kill Mordecai. Not only that, but to kill all of the Jewish people. Esther 3.6, it says, Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. Now to do that, Haman goes to the king and he tells him about this people group. It doesn't name who they are. He just says there's this people who live here. They're right under our noses and they're causing all kinds of trouble. They don't follow our Persian customs. They don't obey your laws, king. And so it would be really best if we just got rid of the whole bunch, if we exterminated them. And Haman himself is willing to carry it out. King Xerxes, in another example of his lack of wisdom, says, Very well, let it be so. So Haman casts lots to pick the month and day that all the Jews throughout the kingdom will be killed. And then it's written into law by the king, and it's sent on horseback to all the furthest reaches of the kingdom. And the Jews are thrown into absolute dismay by this announcement. Mordecai tears his clothes, this Jewish custom of showing grief. He tears his clothes. He's weeping in sackcloth and ashes at the gate. And Esther, who's in the palace, hears that her cousin is in such dismay and is wailing, and she doesn't know what's going on. So she sends a messenger to find out what is wrong with my cousin Mordecai. And that's when she first hears about this new law, Haman's law, and his plan to kill the Jews. So Mordecai tells his cousin Esther, sending that messenger back, he says, you've got to go and tell the king. Tell him about this evil plot and beg for mercy for us. But Esther knows that it's not that simple. She knows that you cannot just go and see the king on your own accord. Even as the queen, you must be summoned to appear before the king. If you just waltz in there, it is punishable by death, except, I mean, you can try it, and you have a chance that he might extend his golden scepter to you and spare your life. That's what leads to the passage that Kathy read for us in Esther 4. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think, because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Esther, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Right? God's promises will hold true. But you and your father's family will perish. 
And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's probably the most well-known verse in the book of Esther and the most well-known phrase, for such a time as this. The book of Esther is unique in that it never mentions God by name across all ten chapters. But there is such an awareness of his sovereignty that it is written all over every page. And Mordecai is saying, who knows, but Esther, that you have come to your position under God's sovereign plan for such a time as this. Who knows, but that God hasn't put you into this place at this time for exactly this purpose. Now, I want to ask you as we just pause to consider our own life for a moment. Do you think the details of your life are just coincidental? Or do you think that God may have you exactly where you are for a specific reason? Do you think it's coincidental that Bria, born in America, then went to Ukraine at age 13, spent 30 years there, and now she and her husband are doing ministry there? Think about your own life, your job situation, the neighborhood that you live in, the school that you attend, the ministry that's been entrusted to you. The book of Esther helps us to take a step back and look at our life through the lens of God's purpose. Why has he led me to this place or to this moment Or these relationships? Why has he given me the opportunity that's at hand right now? This responsibility or this cross to bear? Esther didn't know until Mordecai helped her to see it. He asked the question, and I'm asking you the question today. What is this uniquely ordained season in your life all about? What is God up to beneath the surface? Esther realized, with the help of Mordecai, that she needed to speak up. She realized she had to rise to the occasion. And she did so without any of the outcomes guaranteed. And that's what you call faith, isn't it? She doesn't know how this story is going to end. And yet she knows what the right thing is to do. It reminds me a lot of the three guys tossed in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. She has no idea what the outcome will be, but she trusts God with the results. Now, there's one other detail as she prepares to approach the king that I want to touch on real quick. She calls Mordecai and all the Jews in Susa to a fast. Kathy read that part of the story for us. She says, for three days, let's fast from food and drink, and my attendants and I will as well. And then after three days, she says to Mordecai, I'll go to the king. I think fasting is probably one of the least practiced spiritual disciplines in the American church. And I say that speaking just personally as well, convicted of this very thing. Because when I read the Bible, when something was going on and it was important and people needed wisdom, or they were going to consecrate themselves for a certain task, they fasted. And there's this glaring contrast in the story where it says that Xerxes and Haman sit down to food and drink. I mean, they're feasting in about every chapter of this whole book. Esther and Mordecai 
call a fast. And we'll have to explore this more another time. We'll have opportunity. But I think it's another example of the wisdom that we see in Esther. We're not given her age, but when we do the math and the historical setting, she's probably a teenager when she's appointed queen. You know, maybe by this time she's 20. But she has the discernment to fast and to say, let's seek the Lord. So chapter 5, the time has come. Read these couple of verses for us. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, it's the moment of truth, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. And he says, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half my kingdom, it will be yours. And then comes something I think is really curious in this story because this is the moment when she could tell him about Haman's plot. Well, if I could have up to half your kingdom, let me tell you what you could really do for me right now. But instead, she invites the king and Haman, his number two guy, to a banquet that she has prepared for them that same day. Isn't that fascinating? That's, that's what she brings? I was reading the story this week thinking, why this approach? Why this roundabout approach of inviting the king and Haman to a banquet? And the text doesn't tell us this explicitly. But if I had to guess, I think she probably discerned this plan during the three days of fasting and prayer. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God and it will be given to you. So with wisdom, Esther doesn't tell the king yet. She doesn't just go to the punchline. She sets up a banquet. The king, by this point we see loves feasting, is delighted with the idea. He says, of course we'll be there, and he and Haman attend the banquet. Now as they're there, the king says to Esther, he says, now imagine this between bites of food. He says, tell me, what was that request that you came in to see me about? What would you like? Up to half my kingdom, it'll be yours. And in another surprise move, she says, would you and Haman come back for a second banquet tomorrow night? And then I'll tell you my request. Well, both the king and Haman couldn't be happier with the idea. So they agree to come. They come that second night, and that's when the truth is revealed in Esther 7, starting in verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, this is at banquet number 2, If I've found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. King Xerxes jumps up in a rage when she says this. And he says, who is he? Who is this man who has dared to do such a thing? And Esther says, it's him. It's Haman, an adversary and enemy. The king is so distraught at this revelation that he leaves the room. Haman throws himself at Esther's feet to beg for mercy. The king then comes back in and thinks Haman has other intentions, and he sentences Haman to death on the spot. 
And in this incredible story, this is how Esther and Mordecai and their whole people are saved from Haman's evil plot. Anybody know what holiday this is on the Jewish calendar? Every year it starts with the P. Purim. This is celebrated every year in Jewish synagogues. My Esther, my wife and I a few years ago went to a Purim celebration at a Messianic Jewish congregation in the Twin Cities. It was so fun. They have this banquet, which is fitting for the occasion. They tell the story of Esther. There's audience participation. Kids can get involved. And it was a great night out. But for today, I'm wondering where you could gain from courage, wisdom, and the trust that we see in Esther. Think about those three things. Is there one that seems especially pertinent to you right now? A need for courage, wisdom, or a greater level of trust in the Lord? And where has God placed you to practice them for such a time as this? Our worship leaders are going to join me up front again. And let's bow our heads together and pray. As we have our heads bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm just going to ask us to, this is up to you if you want to participate, but let's name these three things. And if one of them feels like this is an area I could really use help in, maybe you just have a chance to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for us. So as we bow in prayer, who among us is saying, Lord, yes, I need the courage of Esther. I am discouraged. Lord, and I need your spirit to move in my heart and mind to give me a newfound boldness. You can raise your hand if that's you. And now we'll go to the second category. And maybe it's wisdom. It's wisdom that you need. Maybe there's a big decision at hand. Maybe a big transition in your life that's coming up. Who is it that needs wisdom this morning? You can raise your hand if that's you. Lord, I need wisdom. And then that third area of trust. Lord, I'd just like to learn how to trust you more. I don't know the outcome. I don't know where this is headed. But Lord, would you give me the trust of Esther? You can raise your hand if that's you. Well, Lord, we, we just call out to you with these prayers, these requests. You know our need, Lord. You know what each one of us is lacking, what each one of us is facing. And you have sovereign and good plans over each one of our lives. Lord, may you increase in us what you desire. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.